You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, let's pray. Let's get into the word tonight. I am excited and ready, and I know you are too. So uh, just pray with me and believe God. Father, we thank you so much for this, another opportunity to gather together, Lord, as, as believers to approach your word, to believe that we receive tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord, that again, there's no time nor distance in the realm of the spirit. And Father, even though physically we're in different places, Lord, I thank you that in the spirit, we're in one place, united in heart and mind, ready to receive what you have for us tonight. And so, Lord, we release our faith right now and believe to be taught from the word. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he brings revelation and insight into our hearts. And Father, I thank you for it. Lord, I believe that when we get done with Bible study tonight, we'll be better because of your word and because of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we believe in advance to be changed, and we thank you for it. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we began last week just talking about some things. Um, I felt led to uh, talk to you about some tactics for winning, strategies and tactics for winning. And uh, so we're going to continue along those lines tonight. Now, just let me mention and remind you again, we will not have Bible study next Wednesday night, the Wednesday night between Christmas and New Year's. So after tonight, <laughs> the, the next time we get together will be on uh, January the 3rd. So, uh, but we'll continue with this along these lines. And I believe this is timely because of us, of course, moving into 2024, starting a new year. And, um, you know, I believe it's God's will that uh, we have a great year. And so I believe that's what's going to happen. So what we're talking about is, is God's plan for our lives to live a life of victory. You know, Jesus went through a lot on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection in order to purchase our victory. And uh, so what a shame it would be for him to go through all of that and to purchase that for us and then us not uh, walk in it because of either ignorance or for whatever reason. And so uh, we've been talking about that. And so let me just give you again, remind you what the difference between a strategy is. A strategy is the end result. In other words, where are we going to end up? Our strategy is, is that we're going to win. We're going to plan on winning. Our tactics are the how. How are we going to get there? And I love the fact, one of the things I love about the Word of God is it's so very practical. And uh, God is interested in us receiving the details and the steps and the things that we need in order to walk out our victory. And, you know, I said this last week, but the Christian life is indeed a life of victory. But how many of you know you don't have victory without having some battles? And so, you know, the, the, the thing is, and I never uh, want to be guilty of this and, and implying 
that when you live the life of faith and walk according to the word of God, that you don't have any problems. And if you've uh, been a Christian for any time at all, you probably know that quite the opposite is true. And uh, But the good news is that God has a plan for us to overcome and to win every single time. And so we wrapped up last week talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel and what they went through in the fiery furnace and so forth. And, and we talked about how they were able to overcome that. And if you remember, we looked in the book of Isaiah and saw the scriptures that were given to the children of Israel at the time of the exile, what's known as the exile. And when the, the children of Israel, the Jews were taken away into Babylon and held captive and uh, Isaiah prophesied and said that when they go through the waters, they would not be drowned. And when they go through the fire, they would not be burned. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego held on to those promises, and it was able to protect them and to keep them safe. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verses 32 through 34. Hebrews 11 verses 32 and 30 through 34. <clears throat> and of course, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith. It's where we uh, can see all of our Bible heroes and how they believed God and in, in various situations. And Hebrews 11, verse 32 says this, what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, now listen to this list, <clears throat> pardon me, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or enemies. And so they, many in the, the Old Testament believed God went through <clears throat> temptations, tests, and trials, but they all came through uh, victorious because they did it by faith. Through who, And through faith, it says, they obtained the promises. And so the opportunity is available there for us to obtain the promises and, and do it by faith. So let me uh, kind of conclude last part, uh, last week's part by just giving you four things real quick. How do we handle adversity? How are we supposed to handle adversity? Well, number one, you're supposed to stand on the word of God, stand on the word of God. And of course, to stand on the word of God, you're going to have to know what to stand on. So you're going to have to do some study, do some digging, find some things in the word of God that promise you victory in whatever situation that you're facing. And uh, the good news is the Bible covers pretty much everything that we deal with in humanity as far as uh, temptations, tests, and trials. So find out what the word says, stand on the word. Number two, praise and worship the Lord. Praise and worship the Lord. Now praise him and worship him for the victory. And then number three, see yourself coming out better than when you went in. 
see yourself coming out of the battle better than when you went in. You remember I told you last week, when you're faced with adversity, don't go, oh my, here we go again. No, ask yourself or, or say this, say, uh, you know, praise God, I have the victory in this already, but what is it that I'm going to grow in? How am I going to grow in this situation? Because I'm determined I will come out of this better off than when I went in. And, you know, if you'll recall, we didn't read it, but if you have ever read in the book of Daniel, what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is when they did come out of the fiery furnace victorious, the king promoted them and then also declared that the whole nation had to honor the God of the Jews, that the whole nation had to pay tribute uh, to the Lord God, Jehovah. And so because of them, they definitely uh, caused more glory to go to God. And so, you know, you could say that they definitely came out better of that in that situation than when they went in. And then number four, see yourself becoming more pure. We talked about how from first Peter, the, the temptations, tests, and trials uh, don't create gold. They purify it. It's like fire, the, the scripture says. And so fire purifies gold, burns out the impurities. And so that's what we believe for temptations and adversity and trials for us to do is to burn out the impurities and cause our faith to become more and more pure. Now, on the flip side of that, how are we not? to handle tests and trials. Well, in other words, what is it that we're not supposed to do? Well, you're there in Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, and let's look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to read uh, what is said there about the children of Israel. Hebrews chapter 3, <clears throat> pardon me, in verse 7, it says this, and this is a quotation it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Make note of that word rebellion. We're going to come back and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they will, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Now the word, uh, there in rebellion, uh, in the old King James is in James is translated provocation. And it, it's from the word Meribah at which in, is translated to grumble and gripe. And so if you th put that in the verse, it says, today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as they did in grumbling and griping. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, if you think about this, you know, the children of Israel, and, and listen, I'm not being hard on them because sometimes we're just as guilty, but the children of Israel, every time they came up against some adversity, you know, a little hardship, you know, the first thing that they wanted to do was pack up and go back to Egypt. And, you know, the, the amazing thing is, is if you read the scripture and find out what the Bible says about their time in Egypt, it was an awful time. They were badly mistreated by the Egyptians. They were uh, living in poverty. They were in bondage. They were slaves and so forth. And so, but yet they constantly 
when they would come up against some hard times and some hardship, would throw it up in Moses's face and say, oh, that we would have died in Egypt. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. And, and things were so good there and, and how quickly they forgot. And then after they came out of Egypt, think about this, you know, all the things that God did for them and how quickly they forgot them. You know, God delivered them from too much water at the Red Sea. You know, think about it. They were facing the Red Sea and God brought them through the Red Sea. And then they came up against a place, an oasis in the desert, and the water was bitter called Mara. And the Bible says that God delivered them from that. He he had Moses uh, throw something in the water and it supernaturally purified the water and the bitter water became drinkable and uh, they were able to, to partake of it. And then God delivered them at Meribah where there was no water and provided water for them flowing out of a rock. And so, you know, this happened time and time again with that first generation. Well, you know, they, if you recall, they came up to the Jordan River and it was God's plan for them to cross over and they sent in the spies. Ten of the spies came back with the bad report. Two of them had the good report and all the people sided in with the spies that had the bad report. And um, so God said, well, nope, here we go. You guys are going to have to go back and wander around in the wilderness for 40 more years. And so you know the story. They wandered around for 40 more years. The, the next generation showed up at the same spot. And did you know what? The, the next generation did basically the same thing that the first generation did. And what does that show us? That shows us that if you don't overcome adversity, you will face it again. You'll have to pass that test. You'll have to uh, overcome that. And so you can never get away from tests and trials, but if you will overcome them, you can be promoted and not have to keep taking the same test over and over and over again. So let's talk about tonight. So, well, before I get into that, here's four wrong ways to handle adversity. Okay. So I gave you the right ways. Uh, here's four wrong ways. Number one, don't become calloused to test and trials and hardened towards them and God's help. You know, uh, uh, that's easy to do. When you face hardship a lot, it, it's very hard to become hardened and callous. We talked a little bit about that. The, the second wrong way to handle it is to do like the children of Israel did, to gripe and complain about it. And I can promise you this, if you face adversity, hardship, and you gripe and complain about it, I can guarantee you will have to face that again. That is the surest and quickest way not to uh, pass the test is to gripe and complain. The third wrong way to handle adversity is to be critical, to have, have a critical spirit and to, to be critical of others, you know, and, and shifting blame. You, you ever been around somebody that when they come against hard times, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never because of the decisions that they make or, you know, they're critical because somebody else uh, might be moving forward in their lives and they haven't overcome yet. So they seem stuck. And so, you know, the worst thing you can do is gripe and complain. And then thirdly, get critical, become critical of other people. Let me say this to you. 
when you're critical of other people, you're sowing seeds. And when you sow those seeds of criticism, rest assured, unless you pray for a crop failure, you're going to reap some criticism later on. You know, I, throughout the years of ministry, whenever I've been criticized, I tried, and I learned this a long time ago, but I always try and ask myself the question, am I, am I, is, are they sowing criticism or am I reaping criticism? In other words, am I being criticized because, criticized because I sowed criticism in the past? And so we don't want to be critical of people. And then fourthly, the wrong way to handle adversity is to become apathetic about it. In other words, you just don't see anything happening, something good coming out of this. No, the Bible says, like he did for Joseph, that what the devil meant for your harm, God will turn it around and cause it to backfire on him and make it work out for your good. And so you can come out of a time of adversity, again, as I said, better off than when you went in. Now, that's all last week's lesson. Let's begin this week's lesson. Welcome tonight, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so let me talk to you a little bit. The Bible is very good about giving us a couple of things to help us win. Number one, of course, the subject of this series and th these lessons is our strategies or tactics. The second thing that the Bible gives us are warnings. The Bible clearly gives us warnings. And, uh, you know, they're usually pretty obvious. God doesn't uh, make them so deep and mysterious that we can't read the word and find out these warnings for ourselves. And, you know, there are <laughs> promises from the Bible that we don't often claim. Okay. So let me give you a handful of those promises and, and let's see if you've ever claimed any of these in your life. Okay. So let's look at, um, first Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine, first Peter five, eight and nine. And, and I'm going to go quickly through these. So if you want to just make a note and I'll read them to you, first Peter five, eight and nine, Peter said this, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So this is a promise that God gives us is that the devil is seeking to devour you. And uh, we don't often claim that, but that is something. It is a warning. It's a promise that God gave us in the word. In Mark chapter four, verses 14 through 17, Mark chapter four, verses 14 through 17, the scripture that says this, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they heard the, hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Afterward, they, uh, they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, and here's the key word, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So here's my point. Jesus promised us that tribulation or persecution is going to come for the word's sake to try and get the word out of your heart. 
And so we don't often claim that. We don't often, you know, rejoice in the fact, hey, I heard some word. So tribulation and persecution is going to come to get that word out of my heart. A, a promise we don't uh, claim. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Jesus said this, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He didn't say if, he said when, when these things happen. So again, you don't often find us walking the floor rejoicing and praising God, looking for uh, the persecution and people to say all kinds of evil against us falsely, but it is a promise. It's a warning. It, it is going to come. James chapter one and verse two, James one, two, James said this, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So this is a promise. It's a warning. Trials are coming. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. James 1 and verse 13, James said this, let no one say when he is tempted, not if, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Uh, and the word tempt there means uh, adversity, temptations, tests, or trials. It's all one Greek word, okay? But again, the promise is when temptations, tests, or trials come. Not if, when. And then uh, finally, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul wrote, and he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the devil is going to try and come. That word wiles there means trickery or, or deception. And so it's a promise. It's a warning that the devil is going to try and bring deception into your life to try and trip you up and try and make you stumble. And so, you know, that's just a few examples. So knowing these things will happen in our lives. We are not left to our own uh, devices or our own thinking to try and figure out how to navigate through them. The Bible clearly gives us uh, tactics and strategies on how and plans and steps on how to maneuver through these things. And so over the next few weeks, again, we're going to continue talking about this, but I'm going to give you some tactics that you can use. And so tonight, I want to talk to us about or talk to you about one of the most powerful things that we have as our arsenal, and that is the power of remembering. The power of remembering. You know, God gave us with a, uh, a an awesome ability, and that is the power to be able to remember things. So the ability to remember is a powerful thing, and the scripture says that even when we are down, listen, God still remembers us because of his mercy and grace. So let me give you a couple of, uh, or a scripture, I'm going to give you a couple of different translations. But Psalm 136 and verse 23 said this, God remembered us 
in our lowliest state, for his mercy endures forever. In the Bible, in basic English, it said that God kept us in mind when we were in trouble, for his mercy is unchanging forever. The Message Bible says that God remembered us when we were down. His love never quits. So we need to do like God does, and we need to remember. So uh, what we should do is remember, and so we need to uh, confess over our lives uh, that our memory will remain strong. And, you know, I encourage you to write some things down. You know, I encourage you when you get a victory, when you experience a victory or an answer to prayer, write it down so that you can go back and, and you know, look at it and remind yourself. You know, I have a, a journal that I write down when I pray about something and I pray for something specific that I am believing God for. I make a note of it. I write it down in my book and then I, I keep it there. And periodically, I'll go through and look look at it and remind myself of those things. But then when the Lord answers those prayers, I go back and I make a note of it and say, this prayer was answered on such and such a date. And by the way, when I pray the prayer, I put the date and the time in there. And so when the Lord shows up and the manifestation shows up, I, I go back and I note that in that book. And I say, and so that I could remind myself that God showed up. And uh, listen, if you've had one victory, you've had enough to give you enough uh, umph, if you will, to, to get through to the next victory. And so here, the challenge is this, though, and here's where believers often miss it. We don't know what to remember. And what we do sometimes is we remember the wrong things and forget the right things. Okay, so go back with me to Isaiah 43, please. Isaiah 43 in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you out of the New King James. and Isaiah 43, and let's look at verses 18 and 19. Now, if you look at it in its context, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but the, the Bible says in verse 18, Isaiah 48, 43, rather, verse 18, he says this, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, let me make a comment about that particular verse. If you look at it in the context, what he's talking about there is the adversity, the hard times that the people went through. Okay, so he says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Verse 19, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The New International says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And, and it's in a negative sense. See, verse 19, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So he tells us that we need to remember some things, but some things we need to forget. So let's look for a little bit at what are we supposed to forget. So you're there in uh, Isaiah. Go over to, in the New Testament to the book of Philippians. 
What is it that we're supposed to forget? And again, a lot of times believers have this backwards. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Let's see what Paul says. <clears throat> Philippians 3 verse 3. Paul said this, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. In other words, uh, if there was anybody that could have had confidence in his accomplishments and his education and training and so forth, it could have been Paul. But it, and then he, he mentions some of that. He says in verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law. I was blameless. Verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. So Paul tells us, you know, if, if anybody that had bragging rights on the flesh, I did because of my education, because of my training, I did everything I could to obey the law and to live righteously. I even persecuted the church thinking that I was doing the right thing. That's my paraphrasation. Okay. But then he goes on a few verses later in verse 12. And he says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended. In other words, I don't consider myself to have arrived. Okay. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So what is Paul saying? Paul said, I forget all of that stuff that was in my past life. I forget all of the accomplishments and I consider them lost for Christ. And I press forward in my walk with Jesus. Let me read it to you from the passion. It says this, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing, but I run with pa passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Now, I want you to think with me for just a second. If you've done any study in the life of Paul, particularly from the book of Acts, everything he described there in the early part of chapter three, he, we saw it played out in the book of Acts. The Bible says that he persecuted the church. He, uh, you know, was there when Stephen was stoned. As a matter of fact, he was holding the coats of those who were actually throwing the stones at Stephen and murdered Stephen. He was right there and he basically signed off on it. 
And, uh, and then the Bible says that later on, while he was on the road to Damascus to go get more documents so he could arrest and, and persecute more Christians, of course, we know that he had an encounter with Jesus and ended up giving his heart to Christ, getting born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and then, as you know, ended up uh, becoming one of the uh, greatest apostles in the Bible, ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And so what is it that he said he needed to forget? And that was all of that, those past things, all of those failures, all of those sins that he committed, thinking maybe that he was doing the right thing, but it was still wrong nonetheless. He said, I forget those things which are behind and I press forward towards that which God has called me. So here's what Paul is saying that we need to forget. You need to forget your past before you gave your heart to Christ. You need to forget your past sins. You need to forget your past failures. You need to forget, uh, you know, the, the things that you might've done that you're now ashamed of. You need to forget those things. Here's the good news. When you gave your heart to Christ, the blood of Jesus washed you clean of all of those things and God has forgotten them. He has, has removed them, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west from your life, and you will never, ever have to give an account for those things again. You know, I often say it, and, and you know, I, I, I've been in some religious circles that the implication is, is that one day when we all get to heaven, Christian and non-Christian, that we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for everything that we did, both sin and good things. And that is absolutely not the truth. The Bible makes it clear. The New Testament makes it clear that our sin has been dealt with. It's been washed away and it has been forever removed. And we will never have to face those things again because of what Jesus did for us as believers what we will have to give an account for is how we stewarded our lives after receiving Jesus and what we did for his honor and for his glory with the resources that he entrusted to us. But as far as your sin is concerned, it's gone. It's over. It's, it's been removed from you. And you need to forget that because if you don't forget your past, I can promise you, it will harass you for the rest of your life. You'll be burdened with guilt and condemnation. And, and, you know, think about this. Here's a guy that had a hand in seeing people not only arrested and thrown in jail, but, you know, Stephen was murdered. We don't know if anybody else was killed because of their faith, because of Paul, but we do know, or Saul rather, we do know that Stephen was. And so, you know, if there was anybody that should have been feeling guilty and ashamed, it was Paul. But the, the good news is he chose to let go of those things and forget those things. So again, we're to forget those things which are behind us that we are ashamed of and yet have been forgiven for. Okay. So let those things go, let them be removed. Then the flip side of that is, then what are we supposed to remember? If we're supposed to forget some things, we're supposed to remember some other things. So 
What is it that we're supposed to remember? Well, the, the main thing, one of the main things that we're supposed to remember are the good things that God has done for us in our past. That's what Isaiah was talking about. Let go of the former things that are negative or wrong or sinful that you've been forgiven of, but remember the things that God has done for you, the victories, the, the answered prayers. Let me show you some scriptures. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20 and verse 7. Uh, David wrote and said this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but look at what he says, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. And you know, it's not because they forgot God's name. What he's saying is, and the word Lord there is in all caps. And by the way, in the old Testament, if you ever see that word and it's all caps, it is the, in the Hebrew, it is the highest honor and reverence that they can give to God. It is uh, the Lord God Almighty it is a very poor translation, but that's the, the way that the word translates in English. But think about it. He said, we will remember the name of the most high God, the Lord God Almighty. And what he's saying is we will remember the one who has given us the victory, who has fought our battles for us and, and all of those great accomplishments. That's what we're going to remember. Psalm 42 and verse six, Psalm 42 and verse six, David wrote, and he said this, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Notice what he said. You know, my soul is cast down. In other words, I'm feeling low, Lord. I'm having an opportunity here to be depressed, but I'm going to make myself. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. And if you look back, all of those locations that David mentions there in that verse are places where he had victory, places where the Lord showed up and did something mighty for him. And what this verse tells me is that, you know, a lot of times the reason we start feeling down is because we have forgotten what God has done for us. And you're going to have to go back and remind yourself, you know, the, the quickest way out of feeling down and depressed is to begin to remember the good things that God has done for you and to celebrate those things and to acknowledge those things. Matthew chapter 16 verses eight through 10. You know, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and, and uh, they all of a sudden think about here we are in the middle of the sea of Galilee and we forgot to bring something to eat with us. Okay. That might sound like an afterthought, but that's exactly what they were saying. And it says in verse eight, Matthew 16, verse eight, but Jesus being aware of it said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you've brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or verse 10, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? Now, notice this. Jesus calls forgetting what God has done uh, for you. He calls that little faith. Now here's the good news. Can I say this to you? 
not only is it good for you to have a record of what God has done for you, but you got a whole book full of records of what he's done for other people. So, you know, if you got born again yesterday and you really haven't had an opportunity for God to answer a whole lot of prayers for you, then guess what? You've got a whole catalog here of things that he's done for other people. So until you start experiencing some victories, you can go back and you can look at what God did for all of the folks in the Old Testament, what he did for the Christians in the New Testament. And uh, man, you can begin to remember that. But notice again, Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Do you not understand or remember? So we never want to be caught in a situation where we don't remember the goodness of God. And so write this down, please. If you don't get anything else out of this lesson, write this down. If God has always come through for us, then he always will come through for us. If God always has come through for us, then he always will come through for us. The good news is he always has. He is faithful. He is a faithful God. I love, you know, the song and, and that we get out of Lamentations. Great is your faithfulness. God is a faithful God, and you can count on him. And as I said, you know, if, if he has never failed and he never will, if he came through for you before, he will come through for you again. Okay. So, <clears throat> you know, you remember what David did when Goliath was, uh, and the, the Philistines were taunting the children of Israel, the armies of Israel. And you remember David rolls up on the scene. He went down to bring some food to his brothers per his David's or his father's request. And so he walks up on the scene and he sees Goliath out there taunting the armies, making fun of the armies of Israel and challenging them. And so, you know, David uh, went around and, and of course, this is my short story version of it, but David went and he said, you know, what will happen for the guy who gets rid of this giant? And they all said, well, uh, you'll get to marry the king's daughter and you won't have to pay taxes for the rest of your life, you and your family. So David said, "Woo, that's for me. And so he, uh, he, of course, made the decision through, through his covenant with God that he was going to overcome uh, what, what the giant was doing and what the giant was saying. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 through 37, 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 37, you remember David was brought before Saul. And he said, I'll, I'll kill the giant. And, you know, Saul kind of mocked him for a minute and said, but you're, you know, you're just a youth. How can you do that? And he said, no, I can do it. And uh, here's what David told Saul when he was brought in. He said, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught, caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, 
the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And, and Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now I want you to notice something. What David knew he had a covenant with God that was established, but notice what gave David extraordinary courage was the fact that he remembered what God had done for him while he was tending his father's sheep. Now, uh, I've never faced a nine and a half foot fella before and had to overcome him, but I've also never had to overcome a bear or a lion. And uh, I would venture to say, probably, I may be wrong, but I'd venture to say as far as uh, difficulty, they all probably are on about the same level. And so my point is this, notice what David did is he reminded himself of how God enabled him to overcome the lion and the bear, and it encouraged him and gave him the courage that he needed to overcome uh, Goliath as well. And so, again, we can, we can look at this and we can see the pattern of what folks do in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how they remind themselves of what God has done for them and that gives them the strength and courage that they need. Now, one of the benefits we've talked about and we've taught on the covenants in the Bible, the new and the old covenant, but one of the reasons that God establishes a covenant is not for his own benefit, but as a mark or a memorial for us. You know, one of the things we do in our church that I love is, uh, and of course, most churches do this, is receive communion. And most people, uh, you know, I don't think give it the, the understanding or the esteem that maybe we should. Um, you know, there's some that take it too far. You know, there's one uh, denomination that uh, literally believes that when you receive communion, it becomes the blood and the body of Christ. But also, if you're not a part of that particular denomination, you can't receive communion. So they've gone completely in the ditch on one side of the road. But what God did when, when Jesus gave us the pattern of receiving communion, what he was doing is he was not establishing a tradition, so to speak, um, an ordinance in the church, although that's what it is. He was giving us something that we can use to be a memorial for us. That's what he said. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do remember the Lord's death till he comes. And so the, really the whole point of us receiving communion is so that it can become a memorial to us. It makes a mark in our thinking. And so all throughout the Bible, God has initiated points of remembrance for us. That's one of the main benefits of a covenant relationship is that it becomes a memorial point for us. Let me give you some verses where God instituted a covenant and it, the Bible says he remembered the covenant, but he also wants his people to remember the covenant. So again, let me give these few verses to you. You can just write them down and I'll read them to you. Psalm 106 and verse 45. Psalm 106 and verse 45. It says, and for their sake, God remembered his covenant 
and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. So God remembered the covenant. It was a, a, a place of memory for him. He wants it to be a place of memory for us. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So what we see is that when the flood ended, God made a covenant with Noah and established that the world, the earth would never be flooded that way again. And uh, of course, you know, gave the rainbow and stuff like that. But, um, the thing that I want you to, to see is, is that God remembered Noah. Look at uh, or write down Genesis chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Genesis 9, verses 15 and 16. Again, God saying, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I'll look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all that is on the earth. So we see God remembering his covenant. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 29. Genesis 19 and verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Okay, so is it possible that in these four verses and others, many others in the Bible, when it says, God says, I will remember, that he's wanting us to remember as well? It's not just a one-sided thing. We don't need God <laughs> God doesn't forget anything, okay? He chooses not to remember some things, such as your sin, but God does not forget. In other words, God's not so old that he's got dementia and he just forgets stuff. No, the Bible says that he chooses to remember his covenant. And so if he chooses to remember, then the implication is he wants us to do the same thing. God said he remembered Noah. He remembered the covenant that he made with Noah, that the earth would not be flooded again. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and delivered Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. And so then the next time that the word remember is used in the Bible is, is when man fails to remember something. And uh, that's in later on in Genesis in the life of Joseph. Let's look at what happened there. If you remember, uh, go back there. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 40, if you would, please. Genesis chapter 40. I'm determined to try and get through my notes tonight. That's why I'm kind of going quickly, and I'm almost out of time. But Genesis chapter 40 and verse 14. You remember when Joseph was in prison, how he interpreted the dream for the butler and the cupbearer uh, of Pharaoh, okay? And it says in Genesis 40, and verse 14, as the, those guys were getting released from jail, Joseph said something. He said, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me, 
make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house or get me out of this jail. Okay. So he says to them, Hey, I did you a favor. Please remember me when you get back to Pharaoh's house and, and tell Pharaoh what, what happened. And later on in verse uh, 23 of the 40th chapter, we see this verse 23. It says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Isn't that interesting? Somebody that's focused on themselves forgot somebody else. Let me, let me give you a point. Whatever is a priority in your life, you do not forget. Whatever is a priority, what is, whatever is most important in your life, you do not forget. Joseph wasn't important to the butler. Joseph wasn't important to the cupbearer. The cupbearer ended up getting killed, but uh, the butler went on living. But because Joseph wasn't important to him, it wasn't a priority. He forgot all about Joseph until two and a half years later. Then he remembered Joseph when Pharaoh had another dream. Okay. So let me give you some things to, that can help you to remember. Okay. So I want you to look at these verses. Go over with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I love Psalm 103. Probably one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. David said this. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to say this. If you don't talk to yourself in a positive way, you need to start. And you need to start telling yourself what uh, what it is going to do, what your soul is going to do. Quit letting your soul rule you. You are a spirit being alive unto God, filled with God, and quit letting your mind, will, and emotions telling you what you're going to do. Notice David, he said this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's telling his soul what his soul is going to do. He said, we're going to bless the Lord and uh, we're going to bless his holy name. And he said, we're not going to do it halfway. All that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, there are going to be times when you don't feel like blessing the Lord. There are going to be times when you don't feel like praising God, but you're going to have to do what David did. And you're going to have to tell yourself, you know what? I am going to bless the Lord. To bless somebody means you talk good about them. You talk good to them, okay? And so he says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and here's the key, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Now, that word benefit, we often ascribe to uh you know, things that are given to us on our job. When we get hired to work a job, we often want to know, well, what are the benefits that I'm going to get as part of being employed here? Do you have health insurance? Do you have 401k? And you know what we do? Uh, the whole time we're employed there, whether it's, you know, a year or 30 years, we make it a point to remember 
the benefits. And you know what? We won't let our employer forget the benefits either. You know, if they come up short in providing some benefits that we're due, we remind them of the benefits that we're entitled to. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But notice what, what David said. He said, I'm going to bless the Lord. And he, he's telling himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, you're there in the 103rd Psalm. Look, look at some of the benefits that David lists there. In verse 3, he says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. By the way, that word destruction in the Hebrew means the pit. He delivers you. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. See, there's a handful of benefits right there that if we'll just remember those one, two, three, four, five, six benefits, I'm telling you, it would go a long ways in our lives to remember those benefits. So David said, I'm going to bless the Lord with all that is within me. Every, every ounce of strength that I have, and I'm gonna, I'm not going to allow myself to forget any of his benefits. You know, um, the Bible in basic English in verse two says, give praise to the Lord. O my soul, let not all, let, let not all his blessings go from your memory. The new living says this, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And in case you can't remember any of the good things that he does for you, David helped you out, gave you six right there that you can remember. I'm forgiven. I'm going to bless the Lord today because I'm forgiven. He has forgiven me of all of my sin. I'm going to bless the Lord today because I remember he has healed all my diseases. I'm going to bless the Lord today because he redeemed my life from the pit, from destruction. I'm going to bless the Lord today because he crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. And so that's how you do it. You remember what God has done for you. Now, um, I am out of time. So I reckon we'll have to pick up here next time we're together. All right. So again, we need to forget what it is appropriate to forget, and we need to remember what God wants us to remember. Don't get it flip-flop. Don't get it reversed and forget what you're supposed to remember and remember what you're supposed to forget. Amen? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.